Hey, this is Dr. Mike Savella. Uh, welcome to episode 310 of the Mike Savella radio program uh, for Friday, July 19, 2013. This is going to be a unique episode because what I'm going to share with you for the rest of this episode is uh, my interview slash webinar uh, with the great folks at primarycareprogress.org. Uh, this webinar was recorded on Thursday, July 18, 2013, and we had a great conversation about my social media history um, and about my thoughts regarding the current healthcare social media landscape along uh, with uh, my future in uh, social media. Uh, so this is about an hour uh, presentation, uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, I encourage you to go check out uh, primarycareprogress.org. Also, check out their Facebook page, and also, you know, of course, check out uh, my information at drmikesavilla.com, Dr. Mike Savilla on Twitter, uh, and I hope you enjoy the presentation. So, enjoy. Welcome to the PCP webinar slash conversation with Dr. Mike Savilla. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Um, we are really excited to have Dr. Mike Savilla with us because we have been a fan of Dr. Mike for quite a while, and we just um, lured him into our offices so that we could meet him and make a personal connection and and uh, and have a webinar where he can talk about his journey in social media and offer some social media um, tips and uh, and some and some and some tricks. So hopefully we'll get some of that tonight. Um, my name is Jeanette Restivo, and I am PCP's Director of Media and Communications. Um, and in that role, I'm really fortunate to lead our wonderful media team, who is right here on the slide. Um, we have Kat Rizos, who's our Community and Content Manager, and Sonia Collins, the Editor of Progress Notes, who makes sure that our blog is of uh, the highest quality, which it always is. Um, and as the media team, we just try to keep PCP's media efforts moving forward. We're always on the lookout for new ways to message about the very important uh, role of primary care in healthcare system. So tonight, we are talking with Dr. Mike Sevilla. And Dr. Mike's here with us at Cambridge, Massachusetts, probably on one of the hottest and most humid days we've had in like the past 10 years. So <laughs> lovely, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> Um, and Dr. Mike took a short break from social media about a month ago, and we're certainly going to ask you all about that later, but right now, as he says in his latest blog post, he's back and better than ever, and we're just delighted he's here and delighted to have him. Welcome, Mike. Well, it's great to be here. It's great, it was great to, to meet the team today, and I'm really looking forward to our chat. Oh, definitely. Um, so I am sure that you know the participants here know who Dr. Mike is and know how to find him online. Um, but in case you don't, Dr. Mike Seville is a family physician. He lives and works in Salem, Ohio. He is a social media guru. Um, he started blogging back in 2005. Um, in 2006, he started his blog, Dr. Anonymous. Um, and um, he's been blogging ever since. Um, he's a... He's on Facebook, he's on Twitter, he's the works, and um, we really got to know him back when we launched our Voices for Primary Care campaign last year during National Primary Care Week. He was just such a big supporter in social media, savvy supporter, he just stood out. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. We're going to get right into a, um, you know, some interviewing of him, but I, just, I want everybody on the webinar to know that um, at about 25 minutes after, we're going to open up 
to questions from participants. And there are three ways that you can do that. You can post your question right here on GoToWebinar. Um, you can also submit it on Primary Care Progress's Facebook page or um, tweet it to us using our handle and we will find it. We don't have that much traffic going on right now. That way we will we will find those tweets. So um, use any method as you see fit. Also if we can't get to the questions you want to or you have to leave early, post your question on Facebook and Dr. Mike will answer those questions after the webinar. So stay tuned over the next day or so to get your answers. But um anyway back to our back to our um, webinar, our conversation with, with Dr. Mike. So um, Dr. Mike, should we call you Dr. Mike or Mike? Sure. Or, okay, well, Dr. Mike. Mike. You can call me Mike. Yeah, we'll right. yeah. Okay, let's go with Mike. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of take a journey back in time to the first days of blogging, um, back when you were Dr. Anonymous. And so let's just start there if we can. Um, your social media career. So social media doesn't always come naturally to clinicians. I mean, some clinicians are kind of uh, fearful of it or hesitant to dive in. Why did you decide to dive right into social media in 2005? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I've always been uh, kind of geeky. I've always been uh, um, like technology. And uh, I was uh, curious back during the 2004 uh, presidential election, everybody was using uh, blogs back at that time, and I was very curious about that. And, and uh, a year later, uh, I asked myself, um, you know, are there uh, clinicians, are there doctors that are using blogging or, or social media? So I started exploring that. And um, I did find that there were doctors using that. Uh, and a couple of interesting observations back at that point is back in 2005 and 2006, the culture was that um, physicians were anonymous. They used creative names, you know, like Grunt Doc and Panda Bear and Fat Doctor and, and, and those types of things. And they were talking about patients. And what, what uh, interested me and what interested a lot of other people was the storytelling. Um, and so it took me about six months, and and I asked myself, uh, you know, do I have a story to tell? Um, what would it be? So in the summer of 2006, I went on the Blogger and uh, tried to find you know a, a media savvy name, a buzzworthy name, and I found that Dr. Anonymous was not taken. Uh, so I went with that and. Uh, uh, what I wanted to do initially uh, was to bring the reader in and to tell stories of my own. And, and what I wanted the reader to know was uh, how it was to take care of patients in the, this broken healthcare system that we have, uh, dealing with insurance companies and attorneys and non-compliant patients. And, uh, um, you know, of course, you know, nobody would ever do that now, but that was the culture back then. And that's kind of how I got my start. Interesting. How did you know you find an audience? I mean, I think that's probably a big concern of any first-time blogger. Who's who's out there? Who's going to listen? And how do you how do you actually get in touch with the people who you want to be your audience? Yeah, I get that question a lot, uh, and I guess I really wasn't. Uh, I guess I had very very low expectations. Uh, I didn't think I would have an audience um, other than my mom. Uh, who read my uh, uh, stories and stuff. Um, but uh, I guess what, what, what I've learned with media and social media, that is if you have a good product out there, whatever it is, that, that people will come to you. And I remember when I got my first international comment, 
from somebody and they say, well, we, we enjoy what you write. And that just kind of floored me because I'm like, I, didn't, I thought it was just in this vacuum, in this bubble uh, where, uh, you know, I was just kind of venting. I mean, a lot of the blogging back then was about, you know, venting and getting that off uh, off your chest to, to, to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I really didn't have any expectations of anybody reading it. I got some personal gratification for sharing my story and telling my story. And, Mike, how uh, how quickly did things grow? Um, you started blogging. How did you know that people were listening? Or did you get much more feedback? I mean, what kind of sense did you have that this was working, that your audience was building? Um, and did you think you were talking primarily to patients? Were you doing any advocacy at that time? Uh, there was zero advocacy at that time. It was zero talking about patients. I started knowing I was going to be uh, being successful as uh, you started getting blog comments. I mean, now, I mean, nobody gets blog comments anymore. But back at the time, 2005, 2006, uh, I was getting a lot of blog comments. Um, and somebody nominated me for best new blog of the year of 2006 or something like that. So I'm like, oh, I'm reaching somebody. Uh, so that's when I knew I had something there. Um, I didn't know what it was, <laughs> um, but I would just kept telling my story, and, and that's kind of how things start to evolve at that point. Interesting, right? Um, so as you said earlier, you started blogging. It was typical to be anonymous, um, and for patient confidentiality reasons, or just this new landscape of, you know, the, the web. It was called at the time. <laughs> um, just, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. Let's be anonymous. And then at one point, you decided to just blow your cover. You uh, you adopted the name. Your your website became known as uh, FM Rocks. Um, and you announced yourself. Here I am. I'm outing myself as Dr. Anonymous. Uh, why did you decide to do that? Um, to give your, to, to kind of reveal more of your own personality in your blogging. It, it's it's funny because uh, a lot of my longtime readers um, have told me that I am I was the worst anonymous doctor um, out there on the internet because I started um, to learn about uh, transparency on the internet. Like if I would go to a meeting or if I would go on vacation, I would take a picture of myself and put it on my blog, and people are like, "You're Doctor Nam, what are you doing?" Uh, but there was still kind of an air of mystery back then. You know, people didn't know what I looked like or whatever. Uh, so, so as time went on, I started to reveal, reveal a little bit more and more about myself, um, and um, you know, some people figured out who I was in real life. And uh, so there was some point in there where I'm like, well, you know, I, I can't, you know, uh, can't do this anymore. I need to be more of myself. Um, and at that point too, I started uh, being asked to do some speaking because I was one of the you know, first physicians after doing social media, and I just couldn't show up and say, hey, I'm Dr. Anonymous, I'm here to, to speak to your physicians. So from a credibility standpoint, I, I wanted to um, share with physicians the power of social media, and I couldn't do that as Dr. Anonymous anymore. So the next step would be this family medicine rocks. Um, and at that point, my, my, uh, my focus shifted more towards advocacy. Gotcha. And so then um, your blogging became more about issues that were important to the family medicine community and supportive family medicine. Did you find your audience changing? And um, did you find any any difference in the type of reception you were getting or the kind of requests that you might get for speaking engagements? Or... Uh, yeah, it, it did a little bit. And, and uh, I get a lot of uh, questions about my audience. And uh, um, what I tell most people is most of my audience are not even medicine. Um, I kind of grew my audience for people who are outside medicine who just enjoy the storytelling. 
So when I added the advocacy part, I started getting you know, physicians, physician organizations, um, checking out what I'm doing. Um, and then they enjoyed the advocacy part, but they then saw some of the storytelling or some of the commentary I was doing at that time also. So it was kind of a little bit of a growing period adding a different type of audience to uh, to my social media life. Gotcha. Um, just, it'd be interesting to talk a little more generally about social media. So in your seven-year career in it, um, what do you like most? What's most exciting to you about social media? I mean, you're a physician. You're very busy. Why, you know, why? I'm sure you don't have an excess of time to spend on Twitter and Facebook, and yet I know that you do spend a lot of time because you're, 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 you're very active and you, you're always, you always find the right story or the message. So why do you invest so much time into it? What is it about it that keeps drawing you into it? Uh, I think that that's something uh, that's important to me, uh, not only as a physician but as a clinician, is, is communication. Um, communication with patients, communication with peers, communications with your community, and I don't call myself an expert of that. I'm, I can always work on that, but social media is another tool to uh, do that communication with all of these stakeholders, and uh, I use it because um, I think it's a, an effective medium to do that, um, and I tell physician groups about that, that it's uh, it's different, a lot different than traditional media. Uh, it's not just traditional media plus a Facebook page. Uh, there are certain skills in social media that, that people need to learn how to use it effectively. Uh, so that's why I use it because it, it's so much fun and one of the, the best things is you know, meeting people all over the world that I would have never met um, without it. I mean, I would have never you know, have, have seen you know, primary care progress or the people that I've uh, there's even people that I have never even met in person, uh, but I feel that I've known them through the years, communicating with them. Uh, so, so communication with, with patients, and then you know this this great network of people who have the same values and very passionate about things that I'm passionate about to to talk with them and exchange ideas with them. That's what's exciting to me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, the um, I. We work with a lot of um, trainees at Primary Care Progress, a lot of medical trainees, and the vast majority of, of, of people that we work with really aren't on social media. Um, they might possibly have a Facebook page. Not many are on Twitter. And um, we part of our message is that social media is really important and for a really important component of advocacy. Um, and we do try to encourage our constituents to use social media more. What do you tell people who are first you know, newcomers to social media, how do you tell them to get their feet wet in it, the, you know, the best ways of starting out in it, um, and how do you help them with their concerns about, you know, saying the wrong thing or maybe getting flagged by the dean of their medical school or, you know, maybe compromising their chances of getting accepted at the right kind of program. Um, what kind of advice could you give them for starting out and doing it in a way that they're going to be, you know, comfortable in? Well, I, I mean, well, I, I mean, I can't even imagine uh, being a medical student these days with with everything that's that's going on. Unfortunately, um, at the medical school or trainee uh, uh, institution level, um, social media is not very is looked on uh, very negatively, uh, and I understand the hesitation that trainees have, that physicians have, uh, clinicians have with this, uh, but specifically the area of advocacy. Um, you know, there are issues 
that people are very passionate about. Uh, and uh, this is another tool for them to do that. Uh, and, and, you know, people have their reasoning about why they feel what they feel on a particular issue. And it, social media is a way to kind of you know, do that uh, more effectively to a bigger audience. Um, and, you know, there is, um, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, people are going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. I, I understand from a trainee standpoint that they're hesitant to make mistakes because it could uh, affect them down the road. Um, but I guess what I tell people about advocacy is if you speak from the heart, you know, from whatever uh, issue that is, it should resonate. Uh, and hopefully people will understand that as far as, you know, not harming you down the road because you're just, it's just another way, advocacy is another way of telling your story. Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. Um, I think in this room we're, um, we're fans of social media and we have seen the power of it, but let's be honest, um, there are some challenges and one that, you know, you personally experienced and wrote about and shared um, very transparently about a month ago, you, uh, you decided it was time to do some social media soul searching as you called it, and um, in your episode 307, that very sad, shocking episode, um, you decided, that you announced that you're going to take a break from social media, an indefinite break, and, and your fans are, you know, us included, we were, we were so upset to see that, but, you know, understood where you're coming from. Can you talk about that a little bit? What actually discouraged you? Was there, like, a certain moment that you decided this is just not in line with where my initial intentions were? Um, has social media changed so much since you started? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I, that's probably the most you know common set of questions that I've had since since I was away and and, and since then I'm back now. And and you know back at that time a month ago, you know I celebrated the, the seventh year of the blog, and uh, it gave me a time to step back a little bit and and kind of say you know what am I doing with this? Is this really where I still want to go? Is it still an effective way for me to communicate? And, uh, yeah, I mean, the social media landscape has definitely changed, in my opinion, in, in, in the past few years since I started. Um, you know, when I started, um, you know, long, what they, now what they call long-form blog posting was kind of the norm, and, you know, people were, were used to reading very, very long essays and leaving long comments uh, and to have a conversation about that. Uh, now uh, it, it's, it's a lot shorter conversation. Um, and especially with Twitter that I've seen is that, you know, you really sometimes have, a, have to have a thick skin out there because people come after you um, and it can get very personal uh, and it can get very negative uh, and you have to, you have to know that it's going to be out there. But there was just, you know, um, uh, at that point I was very frustrated with, with, with what was happening uh, because I didn't know if I was still reaching people. Um, for me, Twitter, um, and still a little bit now, it just seemed less of a conversation uh, and more of just, you know, one-way communication, marketing. And it's not, that's not what I was used to in the past few years. Um, so, so that was very frustrating to me. Um, I didn't see myself really getting a message out there. I was, I, I guess I was trying to keep up with everybody else as far as that goes. And, and, and what I've seen, especially in, in my own physician social media peer group, is that people are moving more towards things like uh, writing books, um, doing TED Talks, having apps. 
And that really is not on my roadmap. Um, and I was thinking, I was asking myself, you know, for me to continue on this, is that is that something that I have to checklist on myself to do? And I really wasn't passionate about it. Uh, so does that mean that I'm done? You know, has this social media thing really passed me by? And is it time for me just to hang it up and said I had a good run, uh, but I don't want to try to keep up with any, anyone else anymore. Uh, I, I have done everything that I've set my goals out to do, and I've, I've never been one to kind of just phone it in and just you know go on cruise control. I want to try to make some change happen, and, and I was very frustrated back back last month. So that was kind of all that in in my head, and, and that kind of came out in, in a very transparent fashion um, on that podcast. Uh, so I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. Um, and but yet you decided to return to social media. So you did some. You took some time off, and you, um, you know, you took a vacation. Photos. <laughs> it was beautiful, and uh, and decided to to make your return to social media and rebranded yourself. Um, you're you no longer FM Rock. Now you're Dr. Mike Sevilla, um, and you came back with some lessons learned from your respite from social media, um, and they were. They, you know, I think there were some really great lessons in there. Um, do you feel like the um, that 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 break had made your goals more clear? Do you have new goals now, or just different ways of achieving the same goals that you always had? Um. I uh, I think I, I I've always had the same goal was to tell a story, tell an interesting story, uh, and to share that with people. Um, I think I kind of reframed that, uh, and um, well, the big thing that brought me back were, were all the people who sent me messages, um, and people, a lot of people who I haven't even heard from before, uh, and I talk about it in the in, in the blog post um, that that there there are people out there that are watching you uh, in, in a good way. Uh, a lot of them are silent. They don't feel like they they can contribute. That's why they don't send me a tweet regularly or, or a, a blog post or a, a comment or anything like that. So uh, so as I was kind of uh, reframing things, I, I thought it was time for me to really just be myself and to brand myself as me. Uh, one of the opportunities that I see for myself is is to do a little bit more commentary. Maybe a little bit uh, on different topics, uh, not just on primary care and social media. Maybe you know on some news of the day, or you know I I recently taken up you know hiking and cycling, and because of my wife and and uh, I'm very excited about that, so I want to share about that. So so the family medicine rocks thing, I, I felt like I was a little bit boxed in about the type of type of topics that I could talk about. So that was kind of part of the rebranding. So so my goals are still, you know, storytelling and and being a little bit more transparent um, and sharing myself out there, which is which is a huge evolution process. But I still feel like that I have a story to tell and it's and it looks like and it sounds like people are there to listen to it and I'm very appreciative about that. Yeah, you've got a lot of great comments. Um on your blog, and I think we noted that too. That you know, one of the things that you learned was you have a lot of silent observers, silent fans, and when you announced your break, there's just so much, um, uh, so much emotion in a lot of those comments. And um, 
quite a few people said, you know, they got so much out of your work and um, and just, you know, have been fans for years. And quite a few people just said that you're, they really appreciated your authenticity, um, which really struck me because I think that is something that must be so challenging in such a public medium as just putting yourself out there on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on blogging, of, of being so authentic, of revealing so much about yourself. Um, how, how do you do that? How does somebody, how does somebody achieve that of uh, kind of, you know, what does it take to, to I mean, authenticity is, is, is going to draw people naturally. They're going to be able, you know, they're going to want to know more about you, but it's hard. And it, it, I think that's a big challenge that a lot of people um, face. And how do you personally achieve that? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it. Did I unmute myself now? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so technically savvy, I cannot unmute myself. <laughs> um, so, so there's no, uh, I mean, there's no um, uh, class on transparency, you know, and, and it, it's definitely been an evolution for me um, over the past few years. And uh, it, it's tough to do. Uh, it's tough to do. It's, it's tough to put yourself out there. Uh, social media is 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 the place where people, like I said before, can really come after you and attack you personally, and you have to know that. So that's you know, that's why it's hesitant for a lot of people to put their opinions out there. Um, so my advice, if I had advice for people for doing that is, you know, do that a little bit of, at a time, uh, you know, what you're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be, you know, 24-7. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be a little bit of sharing yourself here and there, you know, things that you're interested in, things that you're passionate about. Um, but it, it's it's definitely a, a learned skill, uh, something that you will learn as you do more social media. Great, yeah. Um, Mike, I, uh, we're going to go to questions. We have quite a few great questions coming from participants. Um, and I just want to, one more question um, that I thought was important is, um, well, why do you think it's important for, for clinicians to use social media? Do you think it's... Um, I mean, is it something that medical schools should teach, um, that medical training schools should teach about, you know, a very um, important and effective way of communicating with patients? Um, is it okay for clinicians just to ignore it, or are they really missing an opportunity to have a transparent relationship, or does it just, you know, maybe create more problems than it's worth? What's your opinion on that? Uh, yeah, with, with clinicians using uh, using social media, uh, the first thing I, I tell them is that, you know, for me personally, I don't use it to do any kind of patient care, clinical care. You know, I don't text my patients. I don't um, do Facebook messages or Twitter, uh, and uh, different people feel differently about that, but uh, I don't, and I don't recommend that because of a lot of patient privacy issues. Uh, that being said, I mean, the positive things are, um, you know, for patient education. Uh, because everybody knows there's a lot of bad information out there. Uh, and I tell clinicians and physicians that the reason that they need to be familiar or even be savvy with social media is that our patients are going to push us to do that. Um, every day in my office I have uh, patients who uh, bring me information from the Internet and they say, Dr. Savilla, is this good? Is this bad? What do we need to know about it? And then it does open a dialogue. Um, I also tell physicians about uh, advocacy. Um, 
and uh, uh, but what really gets physicians um, and clinicians on board is is I tell them a little bit about the business standpoint about it. Um, yeah, there's issues um, like uh, online reputation. Uh, you know, clinicians can put their name in Google and uh, see that uh, patients are talking about them. Um, you know, on uh, physician rating sites, and I think that's very important. You know, for clinicians to be uh, aware of that, and also they can use it for marketing as well. You know, there's a, there's a lot of hospitals, there's a lot of clinics that are on Facebook. Uh, and especially when a local thing happens, there's a lot of stories when there's a meningitis outbreak that happens in the local community, the hospital um, or the clinic takes a proactive role and say, this is what happened in our community, this is what you need to know about meningitis, uh, call your physician, call the hospital. So uh, and those type of, I guess, you know, medical disaster or medical, you know, infection type of things, I've, I've seen that happen too. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, people know too much um, about the negatives, that's why they're hesitant about it. But there are some positive things about it, and and in my social media work, I try to bring those out. Yeah. Um, so we have some really great questions from uh, people listening in or who've written in on Facebook and and Twitter. Um, and here's a question from Sarah uh, on Facebook. And she writes, I also wonder what advice you have for providers regarding separation between their personal and professional tweets. Is it preferable to have separate accounts or to simply find the right blend of personal and professional in a single space? And that is a really good question. <laughs> we talk about uh, that a lot here. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of um, debate about that. For me, I'm lazy. Uh, so I combine all of my... Uh, tweets into uh, one stream. Uh, I've had a lot of people uh, tell me, Mike, you need to split everything out um, and have you know three or four different Twitter accounts. I can't do that. Um, and mainly because I tell people, I mean, this is me. You know, I don't separate into four different people or something like that. If if you like what I if you like what I'm talking about, then you'll follow me. If you don't like it, then then you'll uh, then you'll unfollow me. So um, so I, I guess I'm a minimalist when it comes to that. Um, so, but, you know, there's no one right way to do it. Um, if you have more time, then you can manage more social media accounts. Me, I don't, so I, you know, combine everything into one. Yeah, I think that's good advice, and I would just chime in that I agree. I think it's um, your personal preference and what you can manage. Um, I think, as you were saying before, if you're if you're tweeting and posting about advocacy and that's what you believe in, then put it out there. You know, that's who you are. Um, I know that um, Dr. Andrew Mar Singer, the founder of the organization, he uses one account in Twitter and, and Facebook, and um, and and it's easy for him. And and so his personal life really is his professional life. So that that does make sense. But some people certainly um, want to maintain two different profiles, and that's what's right for them. And it has it should reflect your own lifestyle and and how private you want to be. So. Um, we have another question from Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, of course, um, here's a question from the patient perspective from Andrea. And she asks, there are so many medical sources online that at times it's difficult as a patient to know what is the most reliable and accurate information. I would love to hear Mike speak a little bit about what sources he would recommend. What do you tell your patients, Mike, if they come in?
um, sorry, <laughs> what do you tell your patients, Mike, when they come in um, with their new WebMD article um, or Dr. Oz article and they're drinking lots of, um, I'm trying to remember what the, his latest potion is, but <laughs> to ward off. Not, not the latest. arsenic, I think that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> and where do you um, tell them to look? Um, well, I mean, I, a, a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of physicians who uh, just brush that off and said, I won't even address that with patients. Uh, how I approach that is, is uh, you know, bringing that information in, uh, whether it's from the Internet or whether it's from a relative, uh, is that it, it's an opportunity to open a dialogue with people. Um, as far as specific sites, um, I encourage, you know, uh, clinicians to kind of look at a lot of them. Um, what I kind of tend to go to most are, you know, WebMD is good because it, you know, physicians write a lot of those articles, if not all of them. Um, uh, the Mayo Clinic is a leader in uh, social media. Uh, I direct people there. Uh, Cleveland Clinic, who are close to us, uh, also does uh, very good work. Uh, there's a lot of the uh, uh, physician uh, specialty organizations uh, that also have good articles as well. So it's whatever the clinician is, is uh, comfortable with. Um, but definitely before recommending anything, I recommend that the clinician at least go there and see what the information is before they recommend it to their patients. Great, good advice. Related to that, I'm curious, um, there are so many more voices in medical social media today, lots of new personalities. Um, who do you listen to? How do you, um, what, who do you follow on social media, on Twitter and Facebook? Are there any, are there any, um, Social media personalities who are your go-to people? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, the, the, the you know the, the first name is you know Dr. Kevin Fo, Kevin MD, um, and for people who who are not familiar, I mean, you know, that is the first place that I go. He uh, does a lot of uh, talking about health policy issues, which which interests me. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of people in in the family medicine community and and, and the pediatric community as well that, that I follow. Um, you know, look at my Twitter stream. I mean, if people are curious about who um, I follow, um, I don't want to start naming a lot of other names because they're going to call me during this webinar and yell at me for forgetting them. Uh, but uh, that, that's a good place to see. And, and I encourage people to, I mean, if, if there's somebody that, that you're following on Twitter, uh, look at who they follow because uh, that is uh, also a little bit uh, of a, uh, uh, to see, you know, what interests them. So, so I encourage people to to look at my to look at my uh, Twitter followers and kind of see what's interesting to me. Yeah, that's a really good point, and it reminds me that um, for some people who might be hesitant to start up with social media, that you know, Twitter or Facebook doesn't always have to be active. It could be passive. You could be passively engaging in it by just seeing, you know, first looking at other people's feeds, look to see who they follow following the conversation and then when you feel comfortable diving into it and that's one way that we try to get um, newbies to social media acclimated and <laughs> getting their feet wet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I tell people, you know, to be a good clinician, to be a good physician, I mean, the best thing to do is listen. So I have a lot of my friends who don't post anything, uh, but they follow a lot of people. So they, they're a consumer and uh, if, if that's what clinicians or physicians are comfortable with, I'm good with that. I mean, I used to think that uh, clinicians used, you know, had an obligation to produce social media, you know, to write blog posts, to write YouTube videos. And I know from a time standpoint that's not realistic. But if they at least listen, 
what's out there, what's going on, um, I think they'll be uh, familiar enough uh, to, to have a comfort level with it. All right, good point. Um, so here's a question from a Surgeon Medical on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Sevilla, what is your favorite social media platform to experience audience connection? Uh, that is a great uh, question. Um, I, I guess it, it's the uh, the purpose, um, it, but uh, what you're what you're trying to accomplish with it. But just for me, um, I, I continue to enjoy uh, podcasting, um, and because I enjoy that kind of real time uh, conversation like we're having right now. Uh, and uh, I found that, that I've gotten to, to learn people's stories the best uh, that way, rather than exchanging emails or getting to their uh, blog. Uh, so if, if I had to pick one, uh, for me, I would pick podcasting, but you know, whether it's podcasting or Twitter or Facebook or Pinterest or Vine or Instagram, all of them have their place. It's just what you want to do with it and what, what you enjoy the most. Yeah, there is definitely a lot out there and more and more every day. And um, I can imagine that a lot of clinicians might have some, you know, maybe some concerns about going on to Pinterest or Instagram. And maybe it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't exactly sort of match the tone of academic medical literature. Um, but if that's where patients are and they're trying to communicate, you know, it might be enough reason to, to check it out. And actually, there, there are some, you know, you can find some pretty serious topics on them, um, we actually have a, a Pinterest page of beautiful clinics, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> primary care clinics around the world, and there are wow. quite a few that we'd like to visit. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, here's a question from our very own Sonia Collins. It's a doozy. Um, it's from Facebook. She's not on this call, but she wanted to make sure we asked this. Um, so this is about the recent decision from ABC to cast Jenny McCarthy as the new host of The View. And as we know, Jenny McCarthy is an outspoken vaccine denier. And Sonia's wondering, um, what do you think about that decision? And how can we get doctors and scientists to fill the mainstream airwaves with accurate information that will counterbalance all the baloney that's out there? Wow. It's, said in, it's said in only a way that Sonia can say, and if you knew her, you'd understand. Sonny really gets to the point, uh, <laughs> like putting people on the hot seat. Uh, yeah, it's interesting uh, how that all kind of unfolded uh, this week. Um, when, when that was announced, uh, there were a lot of people who were very upset about that. Uh, there's still people very upset about that. Uh, people were writing blog posts even hours after the announcement uh, saying why this is a bad thing. Um, and people ask me about it too, and, and I tell people, I mean, you know, the, the traditional media, um, their goal, whether you're The View or whether you're Dr. Oz or um, you know, those types of people, their 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 goal is ratings and to get eyeballs to see uh, what they're going to put out there, uh, and that's what motivates. That's what motivates them, not necessarily um, accurate information. So, you know, I have no problem with, you know, Jenny McCarthy going on there. I mean, she has her right to say what she has to say. She has a story to tell. She has a compelling story to tell. Um, and, but it's very interesting kind of analyzing that situation is because there's a lot of people um, out there that, that say that Jenny McCarthy you know, helped build the healthcare social media community uh, because she had this big megaphone out there uh, talking about vaccines and autism. And there really wasn't 
um, a lot of people out there to respond to that. Um, and that kind of was the impetus of a lot of people, a lot of physicians starting healthcare social media to tell their story. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when she starts talking about that, you know, on the show is because um, I think that healthcare social media now is ready to respond to that because uh, when she shares her story, I know there's going to be people blogging probably after the show or a few hours after the show and saying, this is where she's wrong. We have the data. We have the evidence. Um, and it's for you, the viewer, uh, to see what you believe. Um, so it's going to be an interesting thing in the fall when that all happens to see how, how it evolves. But I think the healthcare social media community is, is ready, not just for her, but other people who are out there giving that information. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, I, I just want to add to that from um, I have a more of a background in traditional media. And I would say, you know, five, ten years ago, this would have been a more dangerous decision because there really wasn't a two-way communication ability as there is today that, you know, Jenny McCarthy's views would have been broadcast out there and that's it. It's, you know, one way. But now with all of the abilities to blog, to tweet, you know, so much feedback from viewers um, is different. So it's it's not, you know, it used to be you'd have to find a specific expert to call and ask to weigh in, and, and that, that gatekeeper would be the journalist, but that's not the case anymore. So at least it's a, it's a, um, a, a much more open time, you know, to have, a, to have that choice of, of a... Anchor host with you. Yeah, it was interesting because we were talking before, as far as uh, even local media, is that if, if there are physicians or clinicians out there that are talking about this, um, and a local media outlet finds that, um, they have their local expert to say, hey, this is what Jenny McCarthy said on the view today. What do you say, local physician, about that? And, and that's a positive way that clinicians can use social media to get their story out there and to get people to listen to it. Uh, because, you know, people recognize their local physician and they believe them more. Um, so if they get their story and their message out there with the evidence, with the right facts, then I think that's going to be a, 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 a more level playing field for patients in the community to make their own decision about physicians. Good point. Just reminds me, Mike, um, how do you make sure people hear your message? You know, how... How do you? What What are your most effective ways of getting your message out there? Uh, especially if somebody's starting out, it can be, you know, feel kind of lonely. Um, are there any tricks you've picked up along your years in social media of kind of tricks of the trade for, you know, kind of a shortcut to getting before a large audience? Uh, for for people starting out, what what I tell them uh, is that um, if they're able to say it's a blog post. Uh, to get onto a site that has a lot of traffic, uh, for example, Kevin MD, because uh, I know you know Primary Care Progress has has posts there as well occasionally, uh, and that's what I recommend uh, clinicians doing to see if they enjoy that type of writing, whether it's editorial writing, op-ed writing, um, talking about clinical topics, uh, to try to find a a vehicle that has a lot of traffic to, to see if it gets picked up or, or if, see, if, if they, people like it. For me, I mean, you know, I was one of the first people out there. I just kept writing it and, and you know, how I gauge then, like I gauge now, is, is the personal uh, messages that I get. Um, you know, I, I remember when I quit 
Um, I got a lot of text messages that day, got a lot of emails, got a lot of uh, Twitter messages, Facebook. And I still kind of gauge that right now. There, there's, a, uh, there's a core group of, of people that I know and that I trust um, that give me feedback. Um, so if people really want to try to do this, um, you really can't do it on your own. It's a very lonely place. Um, but if you have that core people around you that can really give you, and I guess that's for life too, that can give you the right advice and saying, hey, you know, Mike, this is not the way, direction that you should go. Um, so if you want to try social media, then. And, and the other thing too is that when I started, um, you know, I was, you know, sending Kevin MD questions. You know, I'm like, hey, you've been doing this a little while, and and uh, you know, I'm happy to help people out. You know, when because it's kind of like a paid forward type of thing. Um, and the community, the, the clinician community on social media is so great. I, mean, I, I have people emailing me all the time having questions and say, oh, Dr. Samoa, this is a dumb question. What do you think about this? And I'm like, well, I remember when I did that four years ago, and it was great, or it was awful. So there's a lot of experience out there to share. So if people want to try to do this, um, I encourage them to do it. But, you know, if you feel that you can email me, you can email a lot of people. We can help you a lot. I have to ask you this question because I'm sure some people are wondering this. Um, is there any money to be made in social media? <laughs> Can you make some extra, um, you know, is there a, is an extra revenue source in it or what does it take to make money in it? Um, yeah, I get that question a lot as well. Uh, it, it, it depends what motivates you. Um, there, there's a lot of people who have tried to make, it, make a career out of this. Uh, maybe a few years ago there was a lot more money to be made, um, but not so much now. Um, I continue to do this uh, because I love seeing patients. I will never give up my practice. Uh, people say, hey, Mike, you can go on the speaking circuit. Uh, you can write books. You can go on TV. You can be a whole media guy. Um, that's not why I do it. Um, but in general, I mean, you know, there is a little bit of money on, on the side, you know, to, you know, whether to get links or to do that. But but once the people I've seen start doing that, they get more into the traditional media type thinking as far as, you know, what kind of shocking blog posts can I write to get hits so I can get paid, get my Google ads and all that kind of stuff. So if people want to do it, um, it is, it's a very difficult road and, and you're going to find yourself um, doing things on social media that you've never done before as far as, you know, not writing from the heart, you know, writing for hits, um, and it's not genuine and it's not authentic, and then people lose their readers because they're like, you know, their motivation now is to be paid and not really to tell the story. So that's kind of my experience of what I've seen people try that before. Gotcha. So it sounds like it could take someone off course. It can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question from Kyle who's joining us on the webinar tonight. <clears throat> Kyle wonders if you've encouraged your own clinic team to use social media uh, more proactively. Uh, um, Pat, you have some really good people asking questions here. Let me, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> we have a we have a great network. We really do. Um, so uh, yeah, I've tried to. Um, a lot of them um, use social media for personal use with their families, um, but their comfort level using it for patient care or using it for advocacy really hasn't reach that point yet. Um, I'm still encouraging them, um, but at least where I work, um, haven't used it for that type of thing. There's a lot of examples out there probably 
um, in the innovation network uh, that has a lot of good examples of that. Um, but where I work in our clinic, we haven't really reached that yet. Great. Okay. Um, here's a question that came to us on Twitter from OC Metcliffe. And um, I avidly blog, tweet, and post to Manta on behalf of my occupational medicine client. Should I be adding a Facebook presence? Um, I guess the, the question I would have for that person is, um, you know, have they been asked by somebody to be on Facebook? Is their audience on Facebook? Um, do they have time to maintain a Facebook presence? Um, the, the worst thing to do is to start a Facebook uh, presence and then not maintain it at all um, and just have it sitting out there. So, so whatever social media platforms you're going to do, um, make sure that you have enough time to devote to it. For me personally, I've chosen to focus my uh, time and efforts on on a blog and a podcast and Facebook and Twitter, which I know is a lot. Um, but uh, uh, if you try to be everywhere in social media, um, I don't think that's a it's a very good social media. I definitely agree with that, and I would add that um, we use all of those mediums very differently at Primary Care Progress. We have our blog in which we get very um, more in-depth perspectives on a wide range of subjects in primary care, and they're first person, and they're wonderful. We use Twitter mainly for news and for finding new people to connect with and for messaging. Um, and Facebook, we, we use, we just use it um, less often, mainly because we don't really see, we, we're not seeing great gains in it lately, but we will certainly, because it is so easy to share on Facebook, we figure let's just do it. And it's, it is a pretty easy way for um, people, you know, if it appears on their news feed, just to connect with you. So I think if there's not much effort in it, sure, as long as, like, as you say, you're at least keeping up with it once a day. You can't, you can't let it sit there and, you know, let death settle on it. Yeah. That doesn't like, do anything for you. I uh, yeah I never had a, a, any type of media class um, in school, uh, which is a whole different topic. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've learned uh, you know that you know, really a little bit have to tell you to your audience where is your audience at, uh, and you have to at least try to know. Um, so it's it's difficult to to, to sometimes uh, see what would be interesting to them. But the big thing is time. I mean, if you're going to do it, then you should devote the time to do it. If you don't have the time to do it, then you should not be on that platform at all. Good point. So here's our last question, and it's also from Sonia. Um, and she has, when asked why they don't tweet, and Sonia speaks to a lot of physicians because she is trying, you know, she has our our blog published twice a week, and she's just always working to get more physician voices on her blog. And so she writes, uh, when asked why they don't tweet, many physicians have an arsenal of reasons at the ready. It's unprofessional, or I don't put anything in print for public consumption unless it's in a reputable peer-reviewed journal, or it's too short to say anything meaningful, or and it could be misconstrued, or I don't want my patients to follow and friend me, and the list goes on and on. And it certainly seems like she had a lot of reasons that she could just put out there. What are the most common reasons that you hear of why more clinicians aren't using social media? And what do you tell them? Uh, um, most commonly what I hear is um, I don't have time to do it, which I understand. Um, a lot of clinicians are concerned about issues like uh, patient privacy, which I understand. Um, a lot of uh, clinicians attach social media to 
the frustrations that they have with their electronic health record. Uh, and they say, you know, why do I need to go to Twitter and Facebook? I mean, I'm on my EMR, EHR all the time, uh, and I don't want them to do anything with a computer anymore. So, so I understand, you know, those uh, concerns, especially the time thing. I mean, a lot the common question I have is, you know, Mike, you know, where do you find the time to do all this? And uh, I don't know. Uh, um, uh, but it is very time consuming, but I still get a lot of benefit out of it, um, and they still enjoy it. Uh, the um, uh, patient privacy thing, I, uh, I definitely understand, and how I kind of try to reframe it for clinicians uh, is that, you know, using uh, social media uh, for patient education uh, and for advocacy, uh, those are the, the main things that, that, that I tell uh, physicians. Um, about that and also talking to them about online reputation and using social media like Facebook, you know, for patient education uh, and for their business. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of hesitation out there um, and um, uh, it, it's hard to try to convince people um, of that. Um, uh, I think that, you know, the tide has been slowly turning and, and people are, are seeing this as a good communication opportunity uh, but it's still, you know, you're still going to get those people out there who are uh, very resistant to it. So uh, that's kind of the, the challenge of my work to try to do that. That's right. Um, here's the final question from Rose, Mike. And Rose wonders, how can we change the view of social media that deans and other medical school faculty have? That's a great question. What, what are you going to, how are you going to solve this problem, Mike? Wow. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah, the, the, the academic institution, um, that's like a whole webinar right there. Uh, they don't enjoy change. They don't like change. Um, I guess what, what I would, would say, you know, to, especially trainees, is that um, you know, to try to frame things um, from, you know, a patient perspective. Uh, and, you know, the uh, uh, institutions, I think really need to teach trainees um, not only on communication but social media communication. Uh, on all trainees here is that it's bad, people get kicked out of school, you shouldn't do that, patient privacy, I understand that. Uh, so what I tell trainees is like, you know, there are opportunities out there uh, to educate patients or there are opportunities for medical education to use social media, for collaborations. We talk a lot about collaborations uh, in, in advocacy, but there can be collaborations uh, at the institution and for education standpoint. So there are creative ways to use social media uh, without getting too much in trouble. And I'm very excited about you know, all these trainees out there now who, uh, who were brought up in kind of this social media uh, time where social media and smartphones are like breathing to them. Uh, they're going to find the solutions, the creative solutions, the out-of-the-box solutions on how to use social media, uh, not only for patient education, but, but for medical education and how to, and how to use these outlets uh, to help, uh, help them learn better in school. Yeah, and I would add that I think one of the most effective ways of changing perception um, within faculty and administration is um, for people to start just to use it and to find, as you're saying, effective and creative ways of using it. 
I remember being at a conference a few months back and 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 hearing about a um, a, a professor, a medical school professional, a professor who was using Twitter in his class and requiring Twitter um, using hashtags for his class so he could have direct communication with the students. So I think just making it much more present, visible in in you know in 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 substantial ways is is going to be one way of. of getting greater acceptance of it and seeing how effective it can be. Yeah, my, my last thought on that is that, uh, that some of the creative things that I've seen is is kind of a a mentoring and a reverse mentoring relationship that I've seen some organizations take and that some people in administration, um, especially at the uh, college level, uh, they uh, make an outreach to the students and say, hey, teach us about social media and in kind of a reverse mentoring uh, type of relationship, we can teach you our uh, experience on whatever topic it is, whether it's education or medicine. So both, it's kind of a win-win for both of those parties. Um, so those are the opportunities that I've seen uh, for people in academics to try to learn more about social media is to ask the people and partner with the people and collaborate with the people who are doing it as, as the students. Right, good point. Um, so last question, and then we'll just close off the webinar. Um, so Mike, in your blog, at your post where you talked about lessons that you learned from your social media breaks, one lesson is you're wondering where the, in, where the innovation is in medical social media. But of all of these tools, nothing seemed like the perfect remedy for you know, being the social media tool of choice for um, a medical professional. What do you have in mind? What are you thinking of? Is it an app? Is it um, a different platform? Um, what kind of innovation would would be a you know the the right fit for for communicating about medicine and health and, and does it include patients? Is it is it just a, a something that clinicians would use? Yeah, but I. Uh, um and people have been talking about this for years, and I just kind of personalize it for me in my own kind of workflow. Uh, a lot of the clinician's workflow is through their electronic health record. Uh, and it would be interesting, and it's been talked about before, it's been, it would be interesting for me to go into my electronic health record when I'm in the patient room and, and, and say, hey, you know, I have this, uh, I have this uh, uh, thing that I want to share with you. And can I just send it through my EHR to do that? Or can I find a way to collaborate with, with a colleague of mine across the country and not get them on the phone and say, you know, kind of have like a Twitter stream or something in my EHR and say, hey, I have this patient and, and uh, you know, what do you, what do you think about it? So, so it's using technology, maybe not social media, but technology uh, to further assist with the, with the clinical experience, with, with the patient experience. Um, I guess what the innovation part is, what, what I was getting at is, in healthcare social media, I mean, we've kind of responded to what technology, what the technology social media is. When, when Twitter came out, well, how can physicians use Twitter? Uh, when Facebook came out, how can physicians use that? There's, there's got to be something uh, original, something innovative that, that can come from the healthcare social media community uh, that can be spread out to other type of industries. So that, that's kind of what I was what I was getting at, and, and I'm very excited now that you know a lot of these people who are coming up uh, now, whether they're in high school or college or, or, or medical school, uh, they are going to come up with the solutions.
because you know people you know my age and older we're we're not going to come up with the solutions because we weren't brought up in this environment. So so the next few years are going to be very promising. I'm very excited about that to to see what kind of technology solutions that are going to be coming about. So am I. Um, well, we're out of time. And um, I just want to thank you so much, Mike, for, for being here in the webinar, answering these questions, come flying out to Cambridge to visit us. We learned so much about social media tonight, and thank you for sharing your experiences. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining this webinar. Um, hi, Tim. We, uh, we know you're out there, and um, you're also a, a huge social media guru. We'll, we'll, we'll target you next time. <laughs> but um, um, also, this recording, we're going to tweet it out. We'll have it up on our website. So um, if anybody, if you know of anybody that would benefit from it, we will send it out tomorrow. Um, and just everybody stay connected with us. Um, here's our website. Connect with us on Facebook, on Twitter, and connect with Mike on Twitter, Facebook, and his blog. Um, and you'll learn the latest in Mike's journey, and you'll learn about um, PCP's latest campaign, and stay tuned because we have some exciting things coming up. So um, thanks, everyone. Um, get on social media. Spread the message about the importance of primary care revitalization. Get your voice out there. We will help bolster it. And um, thanks for joining. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Good night, everybody.